Hey everybody, welcome to One Question XYZ. This is Carl Radke and my co-host. Dahlia Strom here. And we're recording live from the LEAD Innovation Summit 2019 here at the Brooklyn Expo in Brooklyn, New York. We've got two awesome guests. Um, I actually have a mutual friend with, with Tony DePaulo. He's a VP of sales over at Newstore. And then of course we've got Phil Grenoff from CMO for Newstore. So gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us. Can you tell us a little bit about Newstore? Phil, seeing as you're fresh off of the stage. So we have, it's, it's a very audacious product. It's basically a platform that is going to be the new operating system for all of retail. Wow. And if you think about it, you know, put two things together in your mind. Think of what it's like to shop in an Apple store, and then think about all that convenience you get from Amazon. Put those things together, and you've got the baby of what retail should really be like. And so what we're really doing is we're allowing retail to run their stores on iPhone. And it's not something that retailers haven't been trying to do for a long time. Uh, it's not a novel idea. It's just that the approaches they've been taking haven't necessarily resulted in the outcome that they desired. They were using point solutions, leveraging enterprise technology was too expensive, or trying to build things themselves, when really it's just not a core competency. So with our service, they're able to more affordably and uh, more efficiently deploy this modern store experience that they're all looking to deploy. Yeah. And even worse, they sometimes have been looking at stores as a real problem when, in fact, as you know, most purchasing actually happens. Yeah, they're burgeoning, yeah. and it's just a matter of, of filling in the missing piece within stores, which is getting associates to be superpowered. Sure. And that's also what we focus on with our technology. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting, and we don't get to the opportunity to have this very often, that you focus more a little bit on marketing, and you focus on sales, and you kind of have an opportunity to collaborate. How does that work in your company? Let's say at the, you know, I, in some ways, it, you have to rely on a very enlightened marketing person. And what I mean by enlightened is they better have had to do sales before. <laughs> and if they haven't done sales before, then in their mind, they're going to be an academic like PhD who's got all the theories and models about how marketing is supposed to work and produce nothing that is usable for sales. And so, because my background, actually, I was the CEO of my own company for about 15 years. And when you know that you're the CEO of your own company, you have to start it, you're actually in sales. Yeah, right? for sure. So um, if you don't have a marketing person who has any sales background or interest, it's going to be difficult. So I don't even put it on the salespeople to have to figure that out. They have to be on the front lines. It's up to the marketing people to figure out how to be a resource to sales. And I think from a sales perspective, you have to kind of go into all of your interactions with the target market, right? And for us, that's enterprise retailers um, with eyes wide open and be diligent about sharing what's working, what's getting people's attention and get that back to marketing, right? And so you kind of create this continuum of feedback and execution that really feeds each other. And so we recognize that pretty early on and have been doing it since day one. I, I feel like it's pretty unique because I've worked for some organizations where literally the marketing team and the sales team, like they hate each other. Yeah, they live in silos. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't talk to each other. So I think that's awesome and unique that you guys are, you know, already doing that and yeah, it's easily working. It's about, look, it's about shared goals and, and, and a modest amount of empathy. You know, you really have to understand what the role is trying to accomplish and understand that it's, it's not so easy necessarily. I mean, one of the things that, that we do in marketing, and, and Tony knows this, I put my people through sales training. And Love so that. I've done it in previous companies, and I've done it here as well. Send them down to, it's not North Carolina, I forget where it is, but it's one of those states down there that was the <laughs> Mason-Dixie line. And um, you know, they all have to sit through two days of what it's like to be a salesperson, get on the, get on the phone, try to make cold calls. If you want to know how to, great, you know how to really be great at marketing, 
get good at that, and then you understand now what to create. I actually task my students with that on social media, though. So it's, it's similar to that concept where they actually need to build relationships through social media, and they need to be able to engage and create an opportunity and, and a desire for people to want to respond to them. And, and that's one of their first homework assignments. They need to figure out how to engage with other people. So I think that that goes back to cold calling. Like, how do you get mm-hmm. people to be responsive and ultimately not hang up on you, right? Right, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Let's just say on the inverse, though, do you have your sales guys go to a marketing course? We don't have them go through a marketing course, but we keep a regular cadence where we're up to speed constantly on what our marketing team is doing. And when we think about the long tail of enterprise software ROI uh, from events like this, right, conferences, our sales team is down on the floor and tracking every lead that's generated. And that all goes into Salesforce. So it comes down to discipline. So these guys can track that long tail ROI because oftentimes in our game, it's, it's definitely not immediate. And so making sure that we have the tools in place and the processes in place that we can track that and attribute it back to the work that they've done is is, uh, is so, what we practice. And half the battle for us is, to be honest, like we're at a conference right now, it's making these conferences effective. Right. And everyone thinks, oh, okay, the way to make it effective, at least, let's say, the non-enlightened marketers, of which I'm obviously not, you know, not one of those, <laughs> um, is that you just create a really sexy booth and the power of that booth is going to bring everyone in there and you're going to get all the leads that you need. And that's complete... Bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. You can swear on this. Yeah. In fact, creating a sexy booth is really, really easy, and there's lots of companies that will do it. I think what makes our our team different, and it really is one team, is that we do a lot of work before we ever get here. Right. In fact, it's like, you know, they say, I guess, in the art of war, you know, the battle's won before it's ever fought. That is true for us. Like, we'll go to NRF, and everyone will go, oh, we're having such a crappy show, and we're like, well, that's really your problem. It's because we spent three months prior making sure that NRF was going to be successful. So it doesn't matter what the lead flow is coming in from, you know, through the door. We know we have a certain amount of meetings with the right prospect in the right place at the right time before it ever happens. So we're not actually going to wait for the conference to happen before we make the conference successful, if you know what I'm saying. So your goal when you come to conferences, you already have the meetings pre-scheduled in advance. You already know what uh, your entire schedule looks like. And then uh, when it comes to a marketing angle, do you host like some type of a dinner or something a little bit more meaningful? Yeah, I think that, that call to action is critical, right? So there's the pre-work that goes into the event. There's what happens at the event, which is oftentimes predicated on the work you've done in advance, but ultimately it's all about what happens next, yeah. right? So having that call to action that brings your prospect, your lead into kind of your, your marketing funnel, and ultimately your sales funnel is what we think about, right? So we have our predefined call to action, whether it's taking someone to one of our customer stores for a walkthrough, whether that's attending one of our regularly cadenced dinners that we do where we host executives around the city, um, things like that. Um, so you kind of have to have you have to give your salespeople and your marketing people a tool to kind of bridge into that next step. But like, with, I mean, obviously with enterprise, I, mean, I would imagine it's a longer sales cycle. I mean, is that frustrating for maybe your marketing team who maybe is wanting a more immediate kind of response? Or I just it's, think you have to take. I mean, marketing in particular has to take a very long term point of view. I mean, especially in enterprise sales, as you, as you know, it's yeah. you know, it's often a four legged sales cycle. It's going to take somewhere between nine and eighteen months. Um, the reality is that no brand or no motivation for behavior can be generated immediately. I mean, yeah, I mean, we all sort of have visions of like one Super Bowl ad and then suddenly everyone does something. No, it's it's sort of a long process of identifying who the personas are, what they will be, what they will be interested in, generating the right content. In fact, the content ideas all come from the field. They know what they're hearing and the kind of pains that are happening. You know, when they get asked by by prospects. So we say, okay, we just start building in content to begin to answer those things, and knowing that in you know nine months. Months, we've been the folks that have been educating people about retail, and they're going to come to us for an answer. 
Now, with, with like a, a platform kind of using the mobile device, do you guys actually have a mobile demo that you're able to show a client if he walks up, maybe that you weren't prepared for? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Everyone in the company, oh, sales and marketing, has the retail applications on their phones. They're trained and certified in showing off some of the critical workflows. Marketing helps us identify what's interesting to a different persona. So if you're talking with someone from IT, you're going to show them a different component of the mobile application sure. than you are a retail leader or an e-commerce leader, right? So they help us define the talk tracks given the kind of buying center or persona and it's our job to then execute and make sure we're the the tip of the spear Um, but absolutely we're always ready to to demo and and to take it one step further we actually have a showroom in New York that we host brands at down in Spring Place in Tribeca that gives them that more immersive experience and all of our our customers are partners in a way and so if someone wants to schedule a tour of an outdoor voices store we work super closely with their team they're more than happy to help host whether it's before or after closing so we can show people again in that immersive environment here's how we can improve operational and experience it's good that you mentioned that the store associates in you know outdoor voices and untuck it which are two brands that are fully on our platform now and decathlon also which you may know used to be in the u.s and has now come back untuck it is actually here yeah untuck it's actually here so you know we just say you know we can talk to you you know about the technology behind new store go see what the experience is like when it's on our platform and then ask the associates how much they love it like don't listen to tony and me about it ask the associates that's one of our biggest selling tools yeah. so yeah you always basically have the current client base actually selling in some capacity for you yes absolutely awesome. i mean it's reference based selling and that's and that's the level of transparency that the buyers want in 2019 right it, uh, hard sales pitches and high pressure tactics just don't work anymore. People can educate themselves and there's too much transparency out there. So you have to be willing to kind of show your wares and be honest about where you are and where your gaps are and have that vulnerability in your sales cycle, but also be committed towards delivering, right? And and I think that's what we try and show more than anything else. I mean, we be honest with you, early on, we were vision selling for sure. I mean, (laughs) I mean, it's all all sort of nostalgic now as you look back and because we're having some success now. And so the vision selling part was interesting, but you, we were, you know, helping customers cross the chasm. So they had to, hear where we wanted to go and we needed to be very prescriptive in how we were thinking about the process because for us if you're just going to do retail as it's always been then then don't go with us yeah, yeah. if you if you if you have a feeling that retail maybe needs to be different then we can start to have a conversation right so it's again it's 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 changed over time now it's like okay go see what it's like to be part of new store and experience it so i love hearing that uh, obviously from the very beginning you had to have like a different structure but now that you've been doing this for how long I guess it's about four years now. Four years. So over what period of time did your trajectory kind of start to shift? You started to deploy different systems and uh, like kind of create some better organizational structure. I think it began to happen uh, around two years ago. I mean, look, it, it really is around the hunt for product market fit. Right. Okay. So entrepreneurs, whether you're Stefan Schambach, who founded our, our, our company or any other, you, you know, they come with an idea and a vision for the world. But then you've got to hunt for product market fit. And I think that's also where sales and marketing really have to work together closely. Because you think you know what the market wants, and especially if you're, you're founded by a visionary, but you can't necessarily tell them that. So the first stage in the process, and I think we're, you know, around two years, we really started to get the product market fit. And there's a, a virtuous cycle in there, which is once you get that, then you begin to hear from customers what they're looking to have in the platform, then you start building it, and then they become happier. And then you know it, it's, it, it's sort of the cycle that you're ultimately looking for, but it, that inflection point of finding the product market fit was really key for us. Right. 
And then after you were able to define it, what did that look like just to get to create more structure? I know that when we had spoken earlier, Tony, you had mentioned that um, now you're focused on empowering your sales team to be more successful, right? So essentially you start with one salesperson and then you start to outgrow that model and you start focusing on like building these internal structures. What does that look like? Right. So what we're talking about is scale, right? Scaling a sales or scaling a marketing organization. And it takes... um, it takes discipline, right, and communication. And so knowing what works and what doesn't, and that comes uh, not from everything we are going to do moving forward, but actually all the learnings that we've gathered along the way. So having that historical view of everything that's worked, aggregated, um, and it requires discipline from the beginning, right? So I think we were fortunate enough to have people on our team that kind of knew we were going to get there one day. And so here are the things we're going to start measuring day one that are going to benefit us in year four. Right. And we have all of that data. So when you start as a sales or marketing leader, uh, while some pieces of information may feel like they should come and go, when you add it all up, that's what's going to give you the basis for creating a scalable model, right? So knowing what our buyers look like, knowing what works and what doesn't, knowing what our most successful starting points are or pitfalls to avoid allow us to now pretty easily create a system that anyone can come in and be successful. And our goal is to basically have salespeople or marketing people come on board and within a few months or weeks contributing to the company, right? So accelerating the ROI of people that are directly focused on the top line of the company. You know, an interesting example, um, well, let me first make uh, make this point, which is over time, the trajectory has gone from generalist to specialist. And we, we haven't so specialized that it becomes insane, but clearly in the early days, we had to be, there was much more overlap on what someone would do within sales or someone would do within marketing. And as you grow and become more successful, the only way that's going to scale is everyone can't be great at everything, right? right? So you have to start to specialize. In one area that we've begun to specialize is within the BDR team. So um, one of the ways to keep um, marketing and sales in track is that the BDRs actually report into marketing, right? So that puts us on the hook for for delivering very specific things that the marketing, that sorry, that the sales team needs. But even better, it's sort of like I don't know if everyone's going to get the reference, but it's a bit like the Pawtucket socks, the paw, you know, paw socks. They're, they're yeah, our farm the, team, the feeder team, yeah. the feeder team, right? Yeah. And so they they will be successful or not. And you know, I keep telling Tony, my goal is that he should never have to recruit for sales anymore because we should know that we have comes from within. They're coming from within again. Mm-hmm. And that structure, we were not mature enough to have that structure in the past, but we have that now. It sounds like I mean, kind of building a culture, and that's kind of what you were hinting at. You know, I think you're going to be taking a little vacation and you know, honing in on some of these tools that you can pass on to your team. I mean, I, there was a talk yesterday about culture. Are there any takeaways that you heard from any of those talks about the culture that maybe stood out to you? I, I think, you know, I, I, was at the, I was listening to the talk, and I thought it was um, uh, very interesting. But I think one of the things that was missing in it was sort of like, what are the, what are the structures that get put in place to maintain it? Sure. And because everyone knows culture is important, but it's not something that should just happen organically. You kind of have to inorganically insert specific things in it and it needs to manifest even in technology like one of the aspects of our culture is like we are a video face chat culture like we don't call each other unless we can see each other's faces part of that has been well obviously we're quite good looking which you can tell (laughs) from the podcast 
but yeah, we need some video of this yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. So, but we, we we have locations all over the world, right? And so the only way we were going to have one unified company was to do our best to use those kinds of technologies that bring people together. And it's very different to be able to see someone's face drop when you say something terrible, you know, during a, a group chat. Sure. Then when you uh, are you going to take yeah? Okay, exactly. now you know what we're doing. And I was yeah. I was half right. Only one of us. We're is doing the new doorway yeah, yeah, of, exactly. of video. But that but so when we talk about culture that technology is embedded into how we work and that really becomes part of our culture so we work face to face i think one of the things that invariably happens when we add new people to the team they're a little bit jarred at first with all of the the video right like being on all the time your face is always on screen but after a few weeks it becomes second nature and they start to appreciate it. It's a talking point I have with every new salesperson we add uh, because a lot of them come from more enterprise software businesses where it's a dial in and a phone and they're on the move and, and honestly you're distracted when, yeah. you're, when you're functioning that way and it takes that away. You sure. actually, there are uh, peripheral benefits to doing it. Mm-hmm. it. It holds you accountable to some extent and that's why we do it. And so it's little things like that um, that people start to appreciate once they're on board. I don't know if, it, if, if you find it true, but when we talk with vendors now, I kind of get a little irritated that they're not willing to show their face on the camera. I ask, I ask yeah. prospects to turn their camera on if I'm doing a remote call. And I'd say about 50% of the time they, they agree. Well, I think yeah. I think you have to give them heads up notice almost like, oh, and PS, this is going to be a video chat. Um, because sometimes you're just not. I, well, some people it, are probably at home in their beds or on their couch. Is yeah. the other thing. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, right. I mean, right, no one has definitely seen scenes and things that yeah. I should really? say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I won't name any names. Yeah. yeah, big recommendation. Everyone learn how to turn off or on their camera at the right time. The last thing anyone wants to know is that there's a billion dollar brand out there that, that's being run by someone in their boxers on the their couch. Yeah, yeah, it's just not a good time. Kind of curious question just because something I've dealt with being in sales is I mean obviously you know your VP of sales you're the CMO how often are you brought into the conversations at or at least like at what level are you brought into conversations when the, the account executive is like you know how do you discern that like I guess for you guys I and mean, you're dealing with big enterprise brands but are you guys involved very early on in these larger deals or is it way later on in the conversation that you're being brought in well we have to so our approach to, to sales and marketing we take a very account-based Sure. approach, which means we, Tony and I, are crystal clear on who the accounts are, who we want to go after, who the people are, and so there may be um, accounts in which Tony say, "Look, I've got this. I can make phone calls. I can talk to the folks. Just please, can you please give me these, you know, things as to why this competitor's, this vendor shouldn't be, you know, in, and we'll give him that as support." But more importantly, you say, "Okay, look, uh, Brand X has sort of gone cold on us for a while, or we want to get in there. Can you please just like, you know." pepper spray as much as you possibly can. Everyone, you, you, you can, maybe pepper spray is a terrible analogy. Uh, but, you know, I've been pepper sprayed before. It's terrible. It's, it's not good. It's not good. I've never. By accident, accident. actually. Because they don't recommend it. But, you know, to, to just really carpet everyone on the account in the right way. And so we take a look at all the relationships and who should get what kind of content. And, you know, and so we, we work together. So to it's very collaborative yeah. sale, obviously. I'd so, say yeah. definitely collaborative between sales and marketing, but I don't necessarily want to interject myself on an account executive sales cycle mm-hmm. unless there's a reason to escalate because as you know you yeah. start to lose a little bit of your credibility right. Yeah. right specifically in negotiation so we want our team to have the tools they need through sales and marketing collaboration at the highest level so that they can maintain their sales cycle themselves they are the account executive executive being the key word there and they're expected to function as such right are we here to support them yes can we get on a call if there needs to be that executive alignment sure, sure. but ultimately the goal is to have salespeople that are running and executing executive sales cycles on their own. Yeah, there's, there's really two types of automation. 
there's that automation, and then there's the, the tech stack. And if you can get both of those in place, you can have a very effective sales and marketing organization. And if you, you can't automate both, I mean, the reality is the two of us should be able to go away and have everyone go, how come the both organizations function without them? Sure. Are they really necessary? But that means that both of us have done a great job. Right. Okay. And, and I hope that it's still necessary, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're not that smart, not that stupid. So, you know. <laughs> this is a question I ask all our guests is, I mean, obviously it sounds like you guys are you know, doing some really good things. You got a lot of momentum. Is there any examples you can give for our listeners, maybe some mistakes, maybe in a sales side or a marketing side that you've maybe done over the last three or four years that might be valuable to the listeners? Just, you know, a hiring thing or maybe a campaign or some sort of strategy that maybe didn't work out so well. Phil mentioned earlier uh, empathy, and I think a lot of salespeople specifically um, tend to forget that, that that's a, a really important trait to connecting as a person with your prospect, right? And so one thing that we just try and make sure everyone understands is that these people have jobs, they have concerns, they have metrics they're being measured by, walk a mile in their shoes, and uh, have some empathy for your prospect. Don't sell to them, educate them, be their Sherpa down this path of kind of transformation that, that we're offering. Um, and so that, that for me is, is just making sure salespeople don't forget that like you're dealing with humans, have some empathy for their life, their job. And again, I think if you if you look for marketers who cannot appreciate what it's like to be in the shoes of salespeople, that's just that's another organization. That, right. you know, go, go fall into that cliche someplace else. So I think if we've ever made mistakes, it was sort of you know finding folks perhaps who approached marketing from I guess I'll call it this more academic point of view. And I have plenty of academia, academia in my background. But you know, someone who really gets it, someone who actually, you know, in worst case scenario, could end up in a in a sales call and would do just fine. Maybe not do do as well, but would get it. Sure. Right. This was so this valuable. Was awesome. I really appreciated this, this really conversation. Uh, what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? www.newstore.com. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and, and if you t- Tony at Newstore and Phil at Newstore will also get us get you as well. Okay. Amazing. And, and, and you know what? If you really again, you want to know what we do? Go to Outdoor Voices. Go to Untucket. Go to Decathlon in San Francisco, and learn really what it's like. And feel it in, yeah. in person. Live it and feel it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.